All right, Boz, question time from the community. Mm-hmm. My favorite time, Pat. Yes, and this is one that you harvested, and I must say that I like it. Yeah. Uh, the screenshot that you texted me, it doesn't have the individual's name, so I'm sorry. Mr. Mm. or Mrs. Anonymous is the, who <laughs> asked the question, and here's, here's what it is. It says some nice things about the episodes. Thank you. Thank you for the support. I have a question regarding stretching and mobility training. Well, I'll tell you what, you've come to the right place. <clears throat> I know Boz Pat's, is Pat's an expert. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know Boz is quite flexible, uh, mm. but I am not particularly flexible. I have increased flexibility dramatically since starting CrossFit through warm-up stretches before the workout, and I almost always try to do some leg stretching after. As I get stronger, I hear so many different types of hip mobility exercises, and all kinds of stretching that I should do regularly to avoid injury and increase my range of motion, it's gotten to be overwhelming as I only have so much time to work out and I typically don't have the motivation to do a long stretching slash mobility session at home. So I'm curious to what both of you do for stretching and mobility during your daily routine. So let me just, uh, this is my quick little tap dance before we go in. This individual asked what we do, and so we're going to give you what we do, but then I think we're going to go down a rabbit hole or two. That's probably no, what's going to occur. come on. <laughs> Unlikely. This is going to be cut and dry, just... Super simple. Super simple. Yep. So, man, this is a... I don't know. Yeah, it is a hot button topic. I mean, this is something that yeah. people just obsess over and focus on, and, and you could have another discussion as to whether or not that's time well spent, but it's it's without question a heavily research and discussed issues. So it's worthwhile for us well, to dive into here. I'll push back on the research part. I'm not convinced it's heavily researched at all, but researched by people like Googling, what should yes. I do? Got it. Okay. Yes. Um, well, there's a lot of meat on the bone here first. And I think it's really important if we're looking at the broad view, which I like to do generally. Um, if we read the key sentence in that whole paragraph in it, was the phrase something along the lines, I don't have it in front of me, but something along the lines of, since I started CrossFit, my flexibility has improved dramatically. Mm -hmm. This is the key right there. This is one of those things that you have to continue to evaluate no matter what attribute you're looking to um, better. You have to look at the objective reality. What is actually happening? Do you want to get stronger? Do you want to get faster? Do you want to get just overall more fit? If the answer is yes, and what you're doing results in that yes actually happening, great, keep it up. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. So if you are already seeing the benefits that you want to continue to gain in, well, then just keep doing it. I mean, that's the real message. Where it starts to get tricky is when you start thinking about, okay, now I have this external pressure of a bunch of people on the internet telling me I need to do more than. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's a good look for most things. And again, you can look at any of these attributes. There are a million different ways to get strong if you're talking about barbell strength. There are a bunch of programs. There will continue to be new programs that are uh, uh, developed and adapted based on the old programs. But if you dial back and look at the root principles that most of them follow, they're going to be pretty similar. It's going to be low reps. It's going to be a lot of exposure. The volume is not going to be super insane, and you're going to have to be exposed to heavier loading most of the time. Those are kind of the principles. And then the reps and the sets and how often per week, that's going to come out in the wash. 
Likewise, I think for flexibility and mobility training, you have to look at the big picture items first and ask yourself, what is going to move the needle forward? And so I, I know where I stand on that. And I know what, what I think truly does move the needle forward. And I think it's inherent in the answer that this individual already gave in their run-up. But I want to I come back to that in a second. Um, before we get into kind of the brass tacks of that, I think the other second question that you need to ask when you're looking at any physical attribute is what do you really need? And flexibility seems to be one of those topics where everybody is convinced that more is always better. And as somebody who has trained explicitly to become as flexible as possible, I'll tell you right now, the answer is that no, it is not always useful. And in many cases, it becomes a liability. So you have to be sure that what you're pursuing is actually worth pursuing. Flexibility beyond what you need to get the job done, I mean, it's you know, referred to as contortion. It doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily aid you to be hypermobile or hyperflexible beyond what you need to continue doing the things that you want to do. So be very careful in that regard. You know, are you pursuing this because it's a genuine limitation and it's genuinely something that's a weakness? Or is it something that you just think is this black hole and you have to continue to invest in it no matter what? It's kind of like being strong, you know what I mean? Um, you can get to a point where you're like, okay, I no longer in the scheme of things have to worry so much about my deadlift. It's at a place where I am totally comfortable with that. And if I look at the totality of my fitness, it's no longer the weak link in the chain. I need to consider some other things. Flexibility is no different, but oftentimes people approach it like it's much different. It's, it's like, you know, that classic cross of methodology, can you be too strong? Yes. Can you be mm -hmm. too whatever? And you just, you know, answered the, can you be too flexible? It, yep. In an extreme sense, sure. You know, it almost provides some instability or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I had something, where was I going? Oh, there's an old Glassman quote, and I think it might actually be in the productive application of force video where we're near the end. He's always talking about the stuff that he says, you can try to make stretching important to people. And most of the time, what people will do is blow it off. You know, they'll, they'll stick yeah. with it for a short period of time. Yeah. But if you create an environment where, you know, there's this competitive fitness going on and, and people are now engaged in that, that's become valuable to them. And now to do well in this competitive fitness environment, you know, it just in your gym, in your affiliate, in your garage with your friends, that's what I mean by competitive, not necessarily the games. Well, we're doing these movements that are functional movements and demanding a flexibility to include something like an overhead squat. Well, now when that becomes important, people will, by its very nature, start to try to get themselves more flexible if mm -hmm. needed because the other pursuit requires it. And so there's this wonderful thing of if you are engaged in, in functional movements, you're going to probably have uh, the topic of flexibility pop into your head far more than you know, I ever did back in the day of doing chest and try on Monday and Thursday and back and by and lat pull down machine. Like I didn't never even tried an overhead squat, you know, so some of the, just what we do lends itself well to this discussion and making it a bit of a priority. This is an interesting topic for me, you know, because I am the tin man. I am just, <laughs> I am, I am tight, tight as a drum hmm. uh, in some parts of my body more than others. And a lot of it, not to give myself a free pass, but, you know, it's lifestyle choices that I made, such as twisting the throttle far too hard on a 1,000cc sport bike or something like that <laughs> and putting myself into a ditch, you know, so that is a lifestyle choice. 
you know, hmm. um, you know, so I've had some motorcycle accidents that just screwed up my neck and upper body horrifically and you have chronic pain to this day. Uh, and then, you know, broke my pelvis darn near 20 years ago and that didn't help anything out as well. And so that's horrifically tight and, you know, just it kind of, it is what it is. Uh, and so flexibility is something that I is at the forefront of my mind because it is a huge challenge for me every single darn day. If we're going to do a thruster, that's somebody that takes like somebody can just be ready in three minutes. I'm not going to be ready in three minutes to get anywhere near parallel, let alone below it, or anything even looking like a front rack position is not going to happen. I'm going to need 20 to 25 minutes because of what's occurred. And so how I warm up, the stretches that I do or don't do, what what pursuing function movements have done to my range of motion is uh, a topic that, you know, it garners a lot of attention in my mind. Here's what's interesting to me in this whole thing, and I do agree with what this individual said. I feel like the best part of my either maintaining a range of motion, or I'm almost hesitant to say increasing it, maintaining is almost like I feel a better thing, is my warm-up that I do every day, and then the workout itself, you know, like dynamically moving my body mm-hmm. through a range of motion for functional movements, that does it. And everything above and beyond that, I can't say, I, I don't have some secret thing as a tight person that has made me flexible. And and here's my jaded perspective on flexibility and stretching and things like that is I know a whole bunch of people that have crossed my path over all the stuff that we've done over our, our lives, right? And the people who are generally flexible are generally flexible, whether they're spending mm-hmm. 45 minutes at night doing something or not. And I hate to say it, most of them are not. And the tight people that I know are spending like 45 minutes a night doing something. And when I meet them the next day, they're still the tight person. You know, it's just, I don't know how much of it is also this genetic component of to some degree, you've got what you got now. Maybe you can get another 10, 15% or whatever it is out of that. But I personally have not seen somebody who is tight as a drum. And then I saw them a year later and they were Gumby. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's unbelievable. You just did an overhead squat with your feet together and your hands touching over your head. You couldn't even scratch your ears two years ago. How did you do that? And like, well, let me tell you what I've been doing. Maybe I just haven't, maybe I just well, I'm unlucky and I haven't met that person yet. I've got a couple things to say on that. Number one, I think you're right in the sense that why would flexibility be any different than any other physical attribute? I think every single one of us that's been around, you know, gyms and gym culture has met an individual that's come into the gym, looked at a barbell and said, what's that? And you go, oh, it's the deadlift. And they go, cool. And they deadlift 405 on their first day (laughs) in the gym. Like there are people like that that I've encountered that's just like, wow, you know, your aptitude for strength and applying force into a fixed object is beyond what I will ever be able to accomplish. Now, that doesn't mean that where I started and where I end up with training is insignificant. I just have to view it on a different scale than the absolute. And for the same reason, I think you have to look at flexibility that way. So if you're saying, yeah, it's unlikely you're going to see somebody who is stiff, whatever, and then they can do these kind of party tricks, uh, feet together, hands together, overhead squat. Sure, you're correct. But that's looking at somebody and saying they started at a 135 deadlift and they're not at 1,000 pounds yet. Sure. They haven't made significant progress. And you're like, no, 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 hold on. Based on where they started, that is very significant progress. The fact that they can overhead squat at all is that's jumping from a 135 to a 400 pound deadlift. That's great progress. Mm-hmm. Maybe not stacked up 
against somebody who their only pursuit is that attribute, sure, you're going to fall flat. But to say that, and, and again, by this commenter's own admission, they have become a much more flexible athlete. I think that is true time and time and time again, but not when you compare it to somebody that's doing the splits. Fine. Sure, but that's sure, not what sure. we're trying to compare it to. You know what I mean? I um, think, oh, good. Well, and I also think that you're right on the money that when the rubber hits the road as far as truly looking at what's important for, um, you know, the amount of range of motion you need to accomplish most things, weighted full range of motion is the ticket. And that is one more reason that it is so important that your form and the exercise technique that you gravitate towards uh, emphasizes those elements. And it is not just one of these kind of competition mind, does it check the box so that somebody else can say it was correct uh, against my peers. You're missing a lot of that um, if that's your only mindset. So, you know, weighted full range of motion activity is the best way, in my opinion, to gain and maintain flexibility that's necessary for the acts of everyday life. And that is exactly what CrossFit is built around at its best expression. And that's why you see that kind of dramatic change. Hey, I didn't really focus on stretching and yet somehow things got better. Now, not mm -hmm. always, and certainly you're gonna have people, I think the other big point here is that tissue quality realities do exist. And you're gonna have people with some mileage on them. You're gonna have people like yourself who you got some some bits and pieces in there that that are uh, aftermarket add-ons, shall we say? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and there's there's a reality to that that you will not overcome by just spending a little bit more time, uh, you know, doing a groin stretch or whatever. Mm -hmm. There will be some limitations there, um, and the same thing for people that have been you know very inactive their whole life. You know, it's going to take time and or you may never get to a point where you are displaying the type of flexibility as somebody else who never really stopped using and expressing that range of motion. It's not to say it can't get better, but you have to temper your expectations in the same way that if you have somebody who's never picked up a barbell, you know, and the first time they are exposed to that is in their late 40s after riding a desk for 20 or 30 years there's going to be a limit to their top end strength and, mm -hmm. and that's okay. The, the point is where did they start and how much can they gain? So you have to, um, you have to consider the context. And, and again, I feel that flexibility as, a, as an attribute tends to be one that people suspend the same kind of thinking that they apply to other attributes. And that's strange to me. I would say also, you know, my statements were not intended, like I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because mm. I will actually say, uh, as challenging as it is for me, and I'm that person that every day tries and I will never be uh, flexible. I, I will never be flexible. It is, it is what it is. But that doesn't mean that the pursuit's not worth it. As a matter of fact, for somebody like me, it's mission critical because in the second that I stop, you know, I'm I'm working my tail off to maintain like a C plus level range of motion. The second that I stop doing that, it's going to degrade from there. And that's not mm. good. And so like when I walk yeah. into the gym every day, um, you know, uh, I think I've said this before on a, on, on a show, depending upon what I'm doing or not doing, because that that broken pelvis, like, it's challenging for me to put my sock on my right foot. It's really, really hard. Like it's a maximum effort 
contortion of my leg through discomfort to get there. So like that's rather significant. And but what allows me to keep doing that is every day when I go into the gym before my workout, the warm up that I do, you know, it helps maintain mm-hmm. and preserve the range of motion that my joints do have. And I am going to fight and claw to hold on to that for as long as humanly possible, even though I know no one's ever going to walk up to me and be like, you're just a simply remarkable specimen. What do you do? No one's going to ask me that. That's fine. But one of the greatest things, as simple as it is for me, like I consider it a win if a couple times a week, two or three times a week, I have to just make sure that I can overhead squat an empty barbell at, at, mm-hmm. at the completion of my warm up. And when I first go into the gym, it would be laughable. I will never film a video of it to show it to the world. That if I grabbed <laughs> a barbell and put it over my head and just stone cold, you, what, mm. what did my first one look like? It would be nowhere. Even, you think I was doing a push press with how low I could get. But over mm-hmm. the course of 15 minutes, all of a sudden, what seemed to be impossible, the rust seems to come off the hinges a little bit. And by the end of 15 or 20 minutes, I'm doing an overhead squat with an empty barbell. Just that pursuit makes me so uh, different than potentially other individuals who had a similar injury to myself and then just decided that it's going to be a lifetime sitting on isolation joint, you know, machines or whatnot. And every now and then, when I do have to go back to like an orthopedic surgeon for a checkup to make sure that everything's still looking how it looks, I will not say the word CrossFit because depending upon the surgeon that you're talking to, that's just, you know, blasphemy. So I will Mm -hmm. allow them to do their normal tests that they do for range of motion, press against my hand, you know, abduction, adduction, all that good stuff. And then after they go, wow, hey, I tell you what, you know, based upon how long uh, this occurred ago, I have to say, like, range of motion is really good, all things considered. And the strength in that leg is really solid. And then, like, I'll wait for them to be like, two thumbs up. And I say, okay, so keep doing what I'm doing, right? And they'll be like, yeah, absolutely. And then I'll say, I'm doing CrossFit and, Thanks, and, and, I, and I squat heavy and I do thrusters yep. and I sprint mm-hmm. and I do all these things that if I walked in initially and said, that's what I'm doing, they'd be like, yep. whoa, whoa, whoa. So take it easy, champ. Yeah, yeah it does work. The proof's in the pudding. Well, so even even in my camp, you know, holding on to what you got for as long as you can regarding flexibility, yes. that that's going to sustain, you know, when I'm many, many years down the road, my ability to live independently, play with my kids and all that good stuff. So the struggle well, is worth it. I agree. And I think in there, you contradict yourself a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to push you on Uh-oh. it just a, a bit. And so, you know, you've got this kind of self-deprecating mindset about your state of flexibility, but in that same conversation, you just illustrated the fact that given the set of circumstances that you have, comparatively to others in that set of circumstance, you are doing the splits metaphorically. You know, you take the, like, how old, how old are you? Fair enough. 47. 47 years old, motorcycle crashes, injuries that are, you know, pretty significant. You take somebody with that same profile and you say, Hey, show me the bottom of your squat. And then you have Pat Sherwood show the bottom of his squat comparatively. I guarantee you that one of them is going to blow the other out of the water, even though compared to the people you have in your mind that are, you know, a little bit less uh, banged up or have more natural flexibility or whatever. People like you, you, Boz, people like you. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that it all comes down to that phrase compared to what, 
Sure, yes. Compared fair. to somebody else of your age and your uh, you know, life profile, you are doing a phenomenal job with your flexibility. That doesn't mean that on an absolute sense, it's going to be turning heads, fine, but that doesn't need to be the case. And it's the same thing with your strength level, with your endurance level, whatever. It's the same thing that we talk about all the time with all these other elements. Like you, you compare yourself to the average person that doesn't take care of themselves, and all of a sudden, your gap is so significant between the status quo and where you are that it's pretty remarkable. And so you can't discount that. That's, That's not fair. something that I'm going to let you get away with. I, I appreciate so, that. And I think, you know, I fall yeah. into the same trap as a human being that I'm always trying to help other people avoid, which is, you know, I do like to compare myself to the ideal. Sure. You know? And then well, when, yeah, I, when yeah, I glance hey. at the ideal, I see how far I am from the ideal. Yep. And every now and then it's like, well, that's a tremendous bummer. Let but me, you're, but you're let right. me put you're my right. philosophy hat on for a moment there, Pat, <laughs> and tell you that there's nothing wrong with chasing the ideal. I mean, surely that's what we all want when we get in and we dedicate time and energy and resource to training or making our lives better, whatever. Of course, that's kind of the pursuit. But at the moment, the ideal is used to dampen your achievement or or somehow reflect negatively on you well now i think you got to start thinking why why yeah. do i have that why is the ideal not something to shoot for and why has it become something that uh that is causing me a negative reaction but that's you know that's another Appreciate another topic that. for another day yeah so anyway but so you want to get into this individual's question is you know yeah. what what do we actually do that yes uh you know you find works well, for you let's take it from the top okay the best thing to do to develop and maintain flexibility is express positions through a weighted range of motion and that doesn't mean when i say weighted doesn't mean like maximally loaded thousand pounds on your back kind of thing but there's an external resistance mm -hmm. in that position to some degree that you have to overcome um, so expressing ranges of motion through somewhat of a loaded experience regularly and never stopping that's the ideal state and that's the one that's going to move the needle the most let me jump in there let me jump in there for a second because i think yeah i think what you just said there is so right and i wish that it wasn't and here's what i mean by that is i think sometimes I'm curious what you think there's an aspect of of stretching or flexibility or improving range of motion that's not Fair. And what I mean by that is I really do think a mm -hmm. lot of it is a use it or lose it kind of a hundred percent. You know, yep. I remember talking to, you know, we did an interview with Dan Bailey and he was very candid and honest about time and dedication that he spent when it was like a full-time pursuit as an individual compared to now as a mm -hmm. master's athlete. And he, he would categorize himself as I need to work on my positions to improve my efficiency. Like compared to my peers, I'm not a flexible athlete compared to my peers. And so he would put a lot of time and effort into this, like a long time at night, and it and it helped. And then he said, the second that he stopped, it went away because it is one of those deals where mm -hmm. it's not like if you're spending an hour a night and you get these gains and then you stop, you have now just increased your range of motion for the rest of your time on this planet with no more <laughs> maintenance. It's sad. I wish that was the case, but it is yeah. to a large degree a use it or lose it. So kind of like you said, you need to stay on that horse. Absolutely. And, and I think staying on the horse broadly is doing the core movements that a program like CrossFit recommends because they are, by their very nature, 
full range of motion, and they expose you to load within those positions. That's mm -hmm. that's the big, big, big ticket. So barring that, not all of us had the good fortune of like, oh, well, I got into fitness really young, and I just never stopped, and I just did all these functional movements from the time that I started working out, and I just never really had a gap. That's mm -hmm. not the average person. That's pretty rare. So for that person, okay, the big building block is to start doing those movements and exposing yourself to those positions over time and slowly trying to increase that range that you're exposed to. And that's going to be something that most of us experience. I think the most obvious example is the first time you ever try to do something like a front squat or an overhead squat. Mm-hmm unlikely that you just pick up the bar and you go, oh, like this, my elbows come all the way up. No problem. I just keep them there. Cool. What's next? That's not the case. You have to go through that time and that could be a month. It could be six months, could be ongoing where you kind of have to wrestle with the position and it gets incrementally better and you slowly develop it. And it's through exposure often that that happens. And so that's this, that's the big building block. Again, starting from the top, expose yourself to these weighted full range of motion positions and never stop. That's ideal. If you can't do that, we'll start. That's the second step. Now, if you need something beyond that, there are a couple of things that you can do. And I'll tell you the, the ones that have the biggest impact uh, on me personally and that I've seen have on people that I've trained. Um, number one, in the morning, if you can get in the habit of just dedicating five or 10 minutes to just basic rotations of all the major joints of the body. This is not a stretching session. This is not something that needs to be done with any degree of intensity. You can look up a million different joint rotation programs if you just punch it into the old Google machine. Any single one of them is gonna be fine as long as it's like 10 minutes and not that much thinking. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be good to go. Start exposing yourself to these basic ranges of motion every day, regularly, and just touch it. And if you need more... If you need more beyond that, I think static stretching does have a place. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what you're trying to accomplish with static stretching needs to be understood. Can it help to develop uh, basic positional flexibility? Yes, sure. There's plenty of, plenty of different sports that have uh, uh, used that to great effect. Has it kind of fallen in and out of favor, uh, you know, 20 times over the last year probably? Yes, you'll have some people that swear by it and some people say you should never do it if you want to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. You know, but the... Uh, at, at the end of the day, there's plenty of disciplines that have used static stretching to great degree. And so it can be a nice addition. The biggest utility to static stretching, in my opinion, is kind of down regulation of the nervous system. So for example, if you are training hard, you have uh, a life that has other responsibilities, you generally carry a little bit of stress between your professional life, your personal life, whatever. Stretching can be a great way to kind of shut down at the end of a day, particularly, and allow the nervous system to relax, which in turn can help you recover better and express range of motion better later on. And it oftentimes has little to do with the physical impact that you're subjecting the, the tissues to. Mm -hmm. It's a secondary effect, and that's really significant. Uh, and then you can get into things, you know, like the foam rollers and the mashings of the world and and those, when they're done well, are when they are targeted at a tissue quality issue that you can identify and can actually be resolved. You know, there are certain things that can't be resolved. You got you get some, some hardware in the leg. Well, no amount of getting on a lacrosse ball is going to change the properties of that particular situation. That's correct. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, are there some situations where 
yeah, it can have some effect, again, at helping to relax and release that tissue so it can recover better and be a little bit more pliable when you do get back to other activities. Sure, sure. But the hierarchy I just described is the order that you should put priority on these things, in my opinion. Weighted full range of motion often, that's the key. Then, and only after you've been doing that and you're really dedicated to kind of uh, uh, pushing the needle forward on that, should you start thinking about like, okay, maybe a basic joint mobility program on top of that, fine. And then only then, if you're consistent with those things, do you need to think about, well, I really have to target a specific area because I cannot achieve a position that I'm trying to do regularly. Maybe I need a little bit of extra homework there. Mm -hmm. But it leads me back to the original question, and I'm rambling a little bit, but I do think it's important. The, the initial question, what do you need? Is this a restriction that you legitimately have that is stopping you from doing a basic movement? Or is this something that you've got in the back of your mind that you, quote, should have for no other reason than you should have it? There's a yes. big difference there. Yep. And you've got to be really clear when you're at the, uh, the outset of it to define one or the other. I can't get in position. I need to fix it versus, well, I can't do the splits yet. You're like, cool. Why do you want to do the splits? Well, because I want to do the splits. Looks like, okay, sick. fine. Looks sick on <laughs> Instagram, man. <laughs> yeah, that might be a valid reason to want to pursue to do the splits. I mean, fine, man, go for it. But don't kid yourself into thinking that just because you can do the splits, it's going to have a tangible benefit somewhere else. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I like rant that. over. No, well, I, <laughs> I'll I'll go on a I don't maybe a mild rant, not a rant. I'm just going to have. Let my thoughts just roll out of my head. Yeah. You know, because well, that's what I just did for however long. So. <laughs> so, you know, I'm with you on the weighted full range of motion and often. And as a matter of fact, mm. you know, based upon all the stuff that I said I've done with my body, by necessity, I've put a lot of time, thought, and effort into creating what I feel is, you know, a effective warm ups because I can't. I can't hide whether or not a warm-up did the trick. I won't be able to get into the position, period, mm -hmm. end of story. So the proof's in the pudding. And so during a warm-up, I do a lot of, I guess you could call it dynamic stuff during the warm-up. And then if I do anything static, it's traditionally after the workout in the cool-down. And when that has taken place, I'll do static there if I have time. But I'll tell you, one of the things, I can get into a couple different warm-ups every now and then. One of the things I love to do and I program as a part of a warm-up at least a couple times a week, even on a day if it doesn't have a barbell in the workout, I don't care. I'm a huge fan of the Bergner warm-up. I think that serves mm. what you just said so yep. well. Big time. It is loaded with an empty barbell. It is a full range of motion 100%. Um, from hips to knees to ankles to shoulders to everything in between. And while you're doing it, your heart rate gets a little bit up as mm -hmm. well because you're moving the entire time and your brain has to be engaged with your body because you're doing something which is not a simple movement pattern. It's a relatively complex one. So from central nervous system to musculature to lungs, I love the Bergner warm. I don't care if I'm doing Cindy. I could do the Bergner warm as a way to get ready for Cindy. So two things, thumbs up. Yes, things yep. like that I'll put in all the time. And, and to give the individual who asked the question, Here's as simple as a warm-up could be, depending upon what the workout is that day. I could just do two rounds, not for time, of 50 double unders or single unders or 50 jumping jacks, something like that. 30 seconds of maybe banded marching and one Bergner warm. I'll go through that two times. Does not take long. 
head to toe warm. And then after that, depending on what the workout is, I could start either do some practice rounds, gently build up the, the weight or whatever it happens to be. And the cool thing about something like the burden or warm, not to stay on this, even though it's not a thruster, if I can overhead squat, I have loosened up my body to the, to the point where a front rack position feels nice. So there's a lot of bang mm -hmm. for your buck with things like that. Um, I'll do some stuff if I'm, you know, uh, hip and back extensions. I do all the time as part of my warm up as well. Uh, I'll regularly either do maybe three to five minutes of, I guess what people would call cardio, like biking, jogging, or rowing, then go into the warm up. And if I don't do three to five minutes before the warm up, that may be worked into my warm up. Like maybe my warm up is three to four hmm. rounds of these certain things I'm going to do. And in each round, there's a minute on the bike. And each time that I, yep. each, each round that goes by, I tell myself to pedal just a smidge faster than I did last time. And so there's, and then when I hop off that bike, I'm probably grabbing an empty barbell and I'm doing some sort of movement through a nice full range of motion that in round one doesn't look good and is nowhere near below parallel. And then in round two, I'm a little bit closer to parallel. And by round three, magic has occurred. And suddenly mm -hmm. I'm below parallel, my shoulders are opened up, and it's just this repeated exposure of meaningful movements that are intentionally put in to replicate whatever I'm going to do in the workout that day. And that has something that has been a, um, I'm not going to call it a passion, it's been a necessity for me over the years, and it, and it works really, really well. And so I think wherever you are in your fitness journey, after a while of doing some CrossFit with a lot of variants, you'll find out what your sticky points are. Maybe mm -hmm. you've got incredible, just born with amazing ankle flexibility, and you don't realize, you're like, I don't understand why it takes everyone so long to go below parallel, but you're horrifically tight upstairs. You know, you're, well, you're going to learn that by getting exposure to all these different movements, and you might be able to then cater your warm-ups or your cool-downs or whatever it happens to be to your little nuances as a human being. Because there is a general pot of things that serve everyone really well, but then you are a unique individual to some degree, and you can have these two, three, four, or five things that you do extra each week that maybe your neighbor doesn't have to do, and that will serve you very well in the long term, is what I would say. Yeah, 100% agree. And uh, I'll just add to that list, this is a kind of throwing back to what I mean conceptually with a weighted full range of motion. It doesn't mean that it needs to be a maximal effort, heavy, et cetera. But the Samson stretch mm. is an excellent example of a full body positional stretch that is so bare bones, but so effective. And you are loading the hips in a deep, deep position. If you are pressing up as you're supposed to be overhead, Again, there's a little bit of muscular force that's, that's involved in that. This is a loaded stretch, even though you're not experiencing 200 pounds on your back or whatever. That's a great point, yeah. And, and that is what I mean by a loaded full range of motion. It doesn't need to be a ton of external load, although sometimes and in certain circumstances that can be fine. Um, but you need to expose the tissue to a little bit of a demand in that position and it's not just totally passive. And I think what you said uh, in the warmups that you just described, one of the underlying features of that, which is really important for people to understand about flexibility, is that if we look at Pat pre-starting the workout 
and then warmed up and ready to go and he can express a little bit more range of motion. Mm -hmm. What's the difference in the property of the tissue? And like if we were to place his tissue under a microscope at pre-workout and, and you know after warming up, what's the difference? And the answer is probably nothing. And so there is very likely not a physical limiter there. And what happens a lot of times with flexibility and position is that you have receptors at each muscle and all throughout the body that determine what is a safe position to be able to maintain. And that threshold is very conservative. Your body doesn't want to be put in a position that it can't recover from. It doesn't want to be put in a position that it feels is dangerous. With exposure and time and the, the temperature, the, the tissue starts to elevate a little bit. That threshold relaxes a little bit and says, oh, hold on a second. Actually, I'm convinced now this position is not dangerous and I can get there. And that is the real key to developing flexibility. It has nothing to do in most cases with you know, endlessly trying to change the physical properties of my tissues. That's why anyway, some people have a much, better, much yeah. better range of motion when they go in for surgery and they have anesthesia and they're just unconscious. Well, there you go. And all of a sudden and you're like, wow, didn't know you could do that with my shoulders. That's the most extreme example, right? There's nothing physically preventing that motion. There's something here at, you know, or I guess you could argue at the spinal cord and between the, uh, between the ears and, and, uh, and the spinal cord, there was something there that said, no dice, playa. And um, I, will, I will say <laughs> one more thing to this individual's question, because I think they, they specifically mentioned some hip things earlier. Yeah. What I, this is something I do. Well, but, well hold on though, hold on oh. though. It's really important, I think, that we look at the nature of what they said. They said that they are hearing, first thing they said was, I've experienced a big increase in my range of motion right. doing CrossFit. Later on, it's, hey, now that I'm getting stronger, whatever, I keep hearing that I need to do these things. And my question back to that person is, why do you think you need to be doing these right. things? If it's all going great, you're not, you know, you ha you're not getting hurt, you're continuing to progress, maybe this is an externality that you don't really need to worry about if your range of motion continues to improve and you're getting stronger and all of these things are happening concurrently. What leads you to believe you need to do this thing? And they might be valuable. But I'll tell you what, Could be. there's there's a lot of white noise in the strength and conditioning world, a lot of white noise. And, and one of our goals for this program, actually, why we started this darn podcast was hopefully to give people a resource with no hidden agenda to cut through. I don't mm. care what you do. I'm, I'm just going to yeah. honestly shoot you straight about I've been lucky enough to have an interesting career so far. And I'll be I'll be honest with you about what I've seen worked and hasn't worked. You know, take mm -hmm. it take it for what it is with, with no hidden agenda whatsoever. But there's a lot of white noise and fluff in in the strength and conditioning world. And so just be, yeah, as we keep coming back to on this, there is a beautifully minimalist set of movements and things that you need to go really far with the human body, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and everything beyond that is it shouldn't be the main course. That's for darn sure. Um, mm -hmm. But I will say something that unique to me, unique to my body, unique to the damage that I've done to it that I do every single day and there's a lot of things that i do or have tried i should say that when i stop doing them i can't tell any darn difference mm. and that makes me suspicious this one for me when i don't do it i know that i don't do it and it never helps my range of motion but it helps you know i live in chronic pain based upon what happened to my pelvis and all that it helps with that level of discomfort that i deal with each day and that is whatever you want to call it the couch stretch the wall stretch for the hip mm -hmm. flexor 
for me personally, because on that side, that thing is tight as a piano, piano wire. When I do that every day, I never notice an increase in my range of motion, but I do notice um, less tension in my low back. And when I don't do it, it's readily apparent. And I've played this game enough to know. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily need to prescribe that to my client that, hey, you need to do this stretch every day because that's not unique to them. But as circling back to what I said earlier, as you do this more and more, you'll learn some of your personal idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. and you may have to yep. do something a bit more and a bit less. And that's and that's okay. And so for me, that's a good one. And I, I would almost yep. say that I think that stretch is one that would, you know, people may not need to do it every day, but I think it's easy to blow off. And when I see people kick mm. up into that, they're like, whoa. <laughs> I think, so I, I think you know, yep. people would probably benefit from touching that a couple times a week. Totally agree. And, and I think that what you said about finding those areas on your own person that might need a little bit of extra work, that's awesome. Definitely do that. Don't just take stock of every person on the internet with opinions that says you need to be doing hip stretch A, B, and C just because they have something out there about it doesn't mean that it's going to be useful for your particular situation. So that's my only argument there is that I just want to make sure people view it through the lens of what they actually need. And like you said, a great litmus is, hey, I did this for, you know, a couple of weeks. I was really diligent about it and I stopped. Mm -hmm. What happens? And if the answer is not much, well, then it probably wasn't worth a ton of time investing into it. So that's a great way, I think, to start evaluating what's actually uh, truly beneficial for you, the individual. You know, yeah, okay, maybe maybe you do want to experiment with some of those hip stretches. Great. Do them for a while, see how you feel. And if there's no tangible difference, especially when you stop, then maybe you don't need to keep doing it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. I think I'm good on it. I don't know if you've yeah, got anything else then. Okay. Felt, felt good to chat about this. You know, and I'm, yeah, and I'm right there with you as well to the individual that said it. Like I said, I've got, I've got a lot of things in this world. Free time is not one of them. And so, uh, Mm-hmm. If something does not work, I'm going to toss it really, really fast because every minute of every hour of every day is really precious. And so the time I spend in the gym is constrained. And so I need to know that what I'm doing in there works. And now, you know, I'll experiment, yeah. keep what, you know, but don't be, don't be too proud, you know, keep something that works, throw the other stuff out. And over the course of time, you'll whittle down to a very effective, you know, mm-hmm. bunch of uh, tricks up your sleeve and you'll be good to go. So. That's it. Great question. Yeah, fun one. I mean, yes, you can see where people uh, can really get um, deep into that that well. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, for sure. So, as as we say, you know, this this is a question from the community. So we read your posts. So we encourage you. As I always say, thanks for your support. One hundred percent love you. Know, without without everyone out there, the show doesn't exist. Mm. If you're listening in an audio format, you're awesome. Uh, but for us to read comments, what you got to do is go to the BTWB YouTube channel, find this show, and then post your thoughts. You know, you've just heard Boz and I chat about stretching, flexibility, range of motion, what's necessary, what's fluff, and all that good stuff. You know, so now you know what we think. Great, but we also love to hear what does everybody else think. Because you know, a hundred minds or a thousand minds working together is going to solve the problem a lot quicker. So if you've got some tips and tricks throw them down there in the comment. If you've got some stuff that you think was just white noise and fluff, throw it in the comments. Maybe people can avoid those traps as well. 
If you have a topic or a question that you think would be great for us to discuss on a future show, please post that and we'll go ahead and, and get a, put it on the list and get around to it. So for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.